Hi guys, welcome to Ed and Arlene Spirit Cast. If you're new to this podcast, we talk about all things related to mindfulness, meditation, metaphysical, um, tarot, magic, astrology, anything in that realm. Today we have a really special guest. His name is Thomas Mooneagle. So um, we're super excited to talk to him and I'm gonna let him introduce himself because he does a lot of cool stuff and I don't wanna leave anything out. Oh man, I have to introduce myself? Okay. Tell us what you do, like tell us what you're into. All of it. <laughs> so I have been reading for, for, I've done readings for people since, this is going to really make me sound old, uh, 1992. I started doing, I guess, healing work on about 2004, um, getting Reiki attunement for the first time. And then in 2007, I started shamanic training and I have two different teachers, which luckily are both local. So that's really for me that's awesome um and then i've you know studied different sort of quantum consciousness techniques like matrix energetics holographic healing i've gone to the monroe institute which is about consciousness exploration uh, using binaural beats to help um you reach elevated states of consciousness i've practiced tai chi uh for almost it'll be 22 years and i actually teach that on a weekly basis um at a couple local community centers. Currently, I'm I'm getting I'm working towards certification in Qigong because you know I'm I get bored easy. Uh, so, <laughs> oh, and I make things too. I like art. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, working clay and a bunch of other things. And so, yeah, that's that's the summation. Oh my goodness! Oh, I'm like okay. I don't even know where to start. It says that you are on your website that you're a minister in the order of, and I'm I'm gonna say this wrong, Mel Mel Melchizedek. Oh, I can't say it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I've heard it pronounced two different ways: Melchizedek or Melchizedek. And okay. I, I don't know which one it is. Um, so we'll say Melchizedek because that sounds cooler. Okay, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I sometimes forget that I'm also a priest. That's uh, <laughs> a list of things yeah, that you do. Yeah, and then also, um, you're a fourth level Andean priest. Oh yeah, that, that came as a shock to me too. Um, uh, seven years ago, when I got my office, when I, you know I first got my own office, and I I asked one of my teachers, I said, would it be out of line if I put shamanic practitioner on my sign? She said, oh, hell no. You're a fourth level Andean priest. And I was like, what? When did that happen? She's like, oh my God. She's like, when you got all the rights, the Muniki rights. And I was like, really? I had no idea. <laughs> wow. That is so cool. I know. It's so that cool. That is so cool. Oh Can you gosh. explain the, what was the, the order? The Mel uh, Mel order of Melchizedek. He is an Old Testament figure, uh, okay. but he was like an Old Testament uh, priest figure. And that kind of predated, I think, even Abraham. And mm. the interesting thing is that the order of Melchizedek is kind of non-denominational in that they're... There are some Catholic priests that are in that order. There are other priests that are not, you know, there are just like universal life ministers that are in that order too. But uh, when we were ordained, they called it the most marrying order ever because we, the order of Melchizedek performs more marriage ceremonies than any other. <laughs> I've, I've performed two uh, marriages uh, and it, it's always been interesting. Like people don't come to me if they want a traditional marriage, they, they ceremony. They, they come to me when they want something different. So I'm always writing. It's like I have to write a new ceremony every single time somebody wants to get married. So I'm like, what do you want? 
What do you want in it? What, what do you want mentioned? What do you want to honor? You know, what do you want to bring forward? Oh, how did you get into that? How, like, what led you to it? Um, specifically ordination, you mean? Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> as all things that happen, they happen in a weird way. Um, you know, for like over a decade, we were taking care of my grandmother after she had like a major heart attack and she couldn't live on her own anymore. So we moved her up here and, you know, redid the basement and everything. And, but there was one time when she was in the hospital and we were, I was going to visit her and, you know, somebody came, approached me in the parking lot and they said, Hey, do you have jumper cables? And I always have jumper cables because, you know, it's like a good thing to have on you. But the only place that to pull in to help them was like, the park, the parking state right next to them. And it was like reserved for, um, for priests. It was like reserved for, uh, basically for ministers that were coming in to see patients. And so I thought that was really funny. I was pulled in that spot and gave them the jump, whatever, went and see my grandmother. Well, like the next day I get an email and this guy's coming to town and he's doing ordinations for the order of Melchizedek, you know, become a priest do this, be ordained, become a minister. And I was like, huh, Okay. <laughs> Wow. So you just feel like, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. It was just sort of like, uh, I think I'm supposed to do this because <laughs> I was parked in the priest spot. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. It sounds like, like the universe has just kind of like given you these opportunities and you've acted on them, which is like really cool. It's like, endless opportunities. I know. You're like, okay, I'm going to jump at this. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, Although sometimes it's sort of a lag between like, I want to, you know, maybe do something and I look around and then there's this opportunity. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't seem right. Something doesn't grab me. Like I, I had decided I wanted to go into like learning Qigong several years before I actually found a teacher. And there was somebody in my almost immediate circle who, who taught Qigong and everything. And I talked to them, but it wasn't a good fit. And as I was learning about their teacher, I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah huh. yeah no no not for me so i was you know i felt like i was being bad because you know here it is the you know the universe is like hey here's a person right here yeah and i'm like yeah that doesn't it was like no so i mean there's a level of that because you know the universe is always offering things and i try to strike that balance between being open to it but also being discerning. Mm -hmm. And I think, and particularly in spiritual circles, you have to do that because there is so much out there. And, you know, and, and even on a good spectrum, if we're just talking like just quality, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but you only have so much time and attention. So you have to really decide like where you're going to put it. And then on the other side of that is there's also a lot of funny uh, information out there. And so you have to be able to parse through that and find what's actually true. Mm -hmm. So interesting i like to use um this kind of like guiding system and i forget who told me to do this but it's how to like tell if i don't know like your higher self is in alignment with like a decision and it's based off of how you feel so if mm -hmm. you are faced with like a choice and you feel kind of funny about the decision then maybe it's not in alignment with i don't know your higher self or your soul's purpose whatever and then if you feel really good about it then go with the really good feeling because that's everything's like lined up in a good way for you that's kind of like how i go about decisions ever since this like lady told me i was like that makes a lot of sense um especially whenever you're trying to decipher between like an ego-based thought or feeling versus something that is good for you to do yes. yeah i mean like it sounds like maybe that just like 
your higher self kind of stepped in for a minute and was like, no, let's go to the next, <laughs> you know, the next thing. Yeah. Well, I'll say that guidance for me is really interesting because like, if I don't get it the first time, <laughs> they're not shy about showing it to me again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is that I had to learn that I don't necessarily always have to know while I'm, why I'm not feeling something. Okay. Uh, because sometimes you're like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't feel right. And, and people will always say why. And cause they really want, you, like, you have to defend your instinct. And I'm like, I don't know. And so earlier in my life, I get talked into things that I really didn't want to do or didn't feel right about. And every single time, you know, that I didn't trust that feeling, it went horribly, horribly wrong. And so now when I get that feeling like, no, this is not where I want to be, I'm a lot quicker to say no. And when people want me to describe it, I'm like, you know, or defend it, I'm like, no, I'm not mm -hmm. feeling it. And there's, that's all that you really need to say is like, no, I'm not feeling this is for me. Yeah. And that's it. And I think it's really important because I think everybody gets those guidance instincts. And that what happens is like 90% of the people just don't listen because they can't rationalize it. They're like, I don't know why. But then when they go and look back in hindsight, they're like, oh, I wish I'd listened to myself or just paid attention to how I was feeling because uh, it turned out that that was really a bad thing, you know, and that's just experience. I mean, and that goes like with, you know, checking the vibe on somebody, like whether you should let them into your life or how far you should let them into your life. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because. You start to see patterns. You're like, oh, I know this person. Even if you've never met them before, you're like they remind you of somebody else and you can see the same patterns in them. And that, that's the benefit as, as you get older is that you've, you've seen similar, similar things before. Mm -hmm. So you start to recognize tendencies and kind of piece them together with your intuition going, oh, that's what mm -hmm. I'm picking up on. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and then like trusting yourself. We just did a workshop and um, a big part of the workshop we did was about like learning to trust yourself. There's an element of you just knowing, you know, and going with that. And yeah. a lot of people will doubt themselves in general. And then they end up ignoring this like inner guidance that's coming through. So you said that you were an intuitive first, right? Um, you did okay. tarot first. Yeah. Okay. And tarot? Yeah, I did that for many years. Um, I, I actually read for people for like over 10 years before I ever started charging for it. Wow. Well, so. it's hard when you're in like this type of work, work yeah. you know, you were intuitive and then tarot and then it went to Reiki? Yeah, kind of like, well, sort of. I guess it, it, you know, I had, um, before I went to Reiki, I, I had met some people who were more in the, I guess the hermetic ceremonial tradition. And, uh, I kind of linked up with them for a while. They put the cult in the occult, <laughs> oh, if you know what I mean. And that, that, you know, really is again, a place where like, I learned to listen to my gut instincts because I didn't listen to them then. And I ended up really sick and just oh in a place gosh. where, I mean, I was almost oh dead by the end of that. <laughs> awful. <laughs> and then, you know, like the Phoenix, I emerged, you know, brighter and badder than ever. Right. And proceeded to burn everything to the ground. I mean, <laughs> I became like, you know, the napalmer of bridges. 
I mean, and then I, I went and I worked in a pagan store for a while and I was really comfortable there. I read there. That's where I first read for people professionally. So it was really formative. I got to, you know, learn about the wheel of the year, which I still love. But then, you know, uh, one of the covens that was like one of the people in the store, they wanted me to join. They kept pressuring me and kept pressuring me. Oh and I just, God. you know, as I said, yeah. I just gotten out of a really bad group experience. <laughs> so I was just like, no, thanks. And that was fine. And then that was not fine with them. And so uh, I kind of got out of that, too. And I, you know, made a friend that, you know, at this, we kind of fell into shamanism at the same time. Um, I, I went to, uh, I guess a free class at like one of the Unitarian churches, um, back in two, the early 2007 and met one of who became one of my, uh, primary teachers. And, you know, I'd known how to journey because I've read books and such and tried it on my own, but you know, it's one of those skills that really takes practice and it's really a lot easier to develop it in a group setting because you do, you start to develop trust because you all journey to do the same thing and you'll go around the circle and people will tell their experience and you're like, wow, I saw that too. And so you start to trust what you got because other people are experiencing the same things or, you know, different people will get different pieces. And when you put it all together, it makes a coherent whole. And it's like, wow, I didn't get that, but I got this piece of it. And they're like, oh, wow, that's what I was missing. You know? So it was, it was really, that was really interesting. And I also met that year, well, I'd, I'd known her for a couple of years, but she started doing mm -hmm. some of the South American shamanism from, you know, the Andes in Peru. Um, she was giving out the Muneki rites and she's like, here, you got to come to this thing. And so I did and um, got started with that. And then she started te teaching like medicine wheel classes, but not the North American version. So that's like, you know, Sun Bear has that book on the medicine wheel and it's it's a big book and it's really cool, but that's not the one I became familiar with. I came familiar with like the Peruvian shamanism that have, uh, from the Quero and I'm, I'm mispronouncing that word. There's like a <laughs> click in there and I can't do it with my tongue. So uh, <laughs> it's like a Q apostrophe E R O. So, you know, they're descendants directly from the Incas. So like when the Spanish came and like conquered everybody and killed a whole bunch of people, they went farther up into the mountains uh, where the Spanish couldn't uh -huh. follow. So, cause it was just too high up for them. So she learned from that. Actually, my, my teacher's right now. She's in Peru right now with uh, Don Eduardo, who I've met. And then I did like a two year shamanic intensive training program um, back in 2012. And that was like huge for me. It was actually completing that program during that. That's when I got my office. I had a bunch of like upheaval in my life. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, uh, afterwards, I felt confident enough in my abilities that I was able to do all the journeys and write my first book. That, yeah, that was really, it really shaped me and made me more confident and allowed me to pursue, I guess, my interests. Because what happens with shamanism is everybody starts in the same place. So when you're going to learn it, it's all about like, oh, I want to find my power. You find your power animal, right? You learn to work with your power. You find your, you go to the upper world, you find your upper world teacher, you learn how to do that. And, you know, you do certain basic things and activities and those intro classes. And then it's sort of like once you learn that, once you learn the basis of it, like extraction and soul retrieval and other things, then it starts to diverge. And it starts to diverge depending on what your natural talents are, what you're interested in. And then you just start to journey on asking questions about like different things or how do I do this? And so everybody's path really becomes very individual very quickly. Yeah. Uh, but that's, I mean, it's really cool. 
<laughs> because you, when you come together, everybody has something to share and is different. And yet there are still some of those commonalities. I've done, I, I don't know. I was so. interested in shamanism, um, but I haven't like taken a deep dive in. Yeah, I did do like an audio shamanic journey, which was really interesting. But I'm curious, especially for the listeners, can you explain what happens with a shamanic journey? And I'm really curious to hear about like a group environment as well. Because I did it alone. It was just like audio. It was cool, but I definitely think like being in a group would have been much nicer. <laughs> so yeah, could you tell us more about a shamanic journey. So your basic thing that you're going to do first is you're going to set sacred space. You know, you're going to make sure you're not going to be disturbed, you know, while you're, while you're working and you're going to set sacred space. And usually that involves uh, addressing the four direction, four cardinal directions, honoring them, uh, welcoming the spirits and guardians of those directions. And then also honoring the earth below the creator above and then the within so in total, there's actually seven directions. There's the four cardinal directions above, below, and within. So that's, that's the first thing, is learning to intend sacred space. Now, you can do that lots of different ways. So you do whatever, as long as you're, you know, really, you're just going to be serious about it. And I don't mean like serious as in no fun. I mean, like, you have to mean what you're saying. Like, when you're setting sacred space, you have to mean it. You're going to say, this is the space. This is sacred. I am declaring that anything that's not Align with that has to get out because you're, you're deciding what kind of energy is going to be in the space with you. And that's really important. Then after that, you know, there are a couple different okay. ways to journey. Um, I like the drum, uh, best. Um, but you know, when I'm by myself, I, I have a drumming CD that I put on, you know, put on headphones and do that. I like the multiple drummings and it depends. There's also rat. Sometimes I will do a rattling journey where I'm taking around and shaking. I did one like last week that was really powerful. But the point is, is that you start out in some place in your mind that you are familiar with, some place outside, um, some place you've actually been to, and you get comfortable like being able to be in that space mentally. And then you look for like an opening into the earth, or maybe like a pool that you can dive into, or like a, an opening in a tree, and you know, you, you, you make your intention before you go. And that's really important. If you don't have like a really strong intention for a reason, you're going to have kind of like a, a wishy-washy uh, kind of journey. Fall asleep. Um, you also don't want to be really tired. <laughs> yeah. You'll fall. You tend to like, well, even if you don't, you kind of zone out and you're just kind of only half getting the answers. You know, when someone's trying to talk to you, mm -hmm. you're just kind of halfway falling asleep on the couch. It's kind of like that. Um, <laughs> I had one of those journeys yesterday. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I managed to pull through. I managed to like refocus uh, and, and, and get the good stuff, right? You have a meditation album out right now, right? Is this thing that you do on that album? I do this out. So what my album was about, it's called Chords of Light. And it is like coming out of the shamanic practice because, you know, and shamanism is like, Everything is connect, you know, everything has a spirit, everything is aware and everything has its own energy and everybody you're in relationship with everything, not just everyone, everything you're in relationship, you've got like a cord of energy too. And depending on like what the nature of that relationship is, it's going to reflect in that cord. So if you start like doing meditation, still, I'm going to look at my cords between this person and it starts to look a little, you know, flaccid and maybe a little spotty and slightly diseased or, you know, just gray and just 
dead. Like it might, you might need to, that relationship might need some work, or it might need to be cut away. Just depends. Whereas you know, if you start to think about like the person that you like light up when you see them, and vice versa, if you go and look at that court, it's usually going to be like all bright and shiny and just pulsing, and you know, just all just filled with beautiful, vibrant color and different things like that. Um, but I had done a lot of cord work um, for several clients. And, you know, I, if you work with me, I, I'll, a lot of times I'll give you homework, you know, and it's because I feel like you need some skin in the game. And the skin in the game is not just like my fee, you know, like mm -hmm. it's sort of like going to a personal trainer and only working out when you're with the personal trainer. Can you see the cords that are attached to people? <sighs> If I'm like, in, if I'm working with them okay. and when you say see, I mean, I'm more clairsentient. Uh, so I'm more, I'm more, I see with my heart. I feel now when I'm working with someone, I'll have my eyes closed and I'll be seeing sometimes with my mind's eye when I'm focusing in, but it, it comes that, that picture is generated from the feeling rather than uh, a clairvoyant vision would be mm -hmm. where it's like very, where it's coming from the visual. Like some people will actually see, you know, like with their eyes mm -hmm. and it's not that that's never happened. It's just that that's not my primary thing. You know, I, I can certainly read the room, you know, to see if it's like a good place to be or whatever. And, but most of the time, like I am not going to get like psychic information about you unless you're sitting in front of me working with me. Cause you know, you've a, if you're, if you're working mm -hmm. with me, it means you've given me your implicit permission to look into your field. Right. And the only time I would be seeing something out and okay. about is like if it was pertinent to me and my safety or those around, um, where it's sort of like, hey, alert, pay attention. So I've had those kind of experiences. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, but that's about usually the extent of it, unless I'm working with them. And there are people who will, you know, they learn the stuff and they're then they're just like all and just like they're like little peeping toms. They're like in, in everybody's yeah. business all yeah, the time. Know. And I'm like, uh, that's way inappropriate. Um, so I want to talk about the matrix energetics. Can you explain that? So this is, this requires some, some stories. Uh, so before I learned about matrix energetics, um, I was studying a lot of quantum physics. Like I was meeting, reading actual like quantum physics books, like with the experiments and stuff in it. I'm sure you've seen what the bleep do we know? Uh, it was, you know, I remember seeing that movie and, you know, I was already doing Reiki and, magic and stuff. And I was like, wow, yeah. I'm really short selling myself. I could be taking this a whole lot farther. And, you know, just by the quantum, of the observer effect, you know, and the way they described, you know, multiple universes and all that stuff. And quantum field, it's also known as the zero point field. And basically anything that's ever existed, uh, it has passed through that field and the pattern, the energy pattern for it still remains in that field. So once something exists, it always exists, at least in the quantum field. So, you know, and we pop in and out of that all the time. Um, so when people say that we create a reality, we sort of kind of do, we, it's like we co-create it, but it's our attention. And so learning to drop into that field where you kind of like dissolve a little bit, when you emerge from that again, you have the opportunity to transform and not be the exact same as when you entered it. Um, and I at first was doing a lot of stuff to try. I'd heard somebody was doing this with like ancient artifacts from Tibet and all they, they'd arrange a sort of altar and they would lay you on the table and they would bang the bell and you would just like vibrate and you'd be in the quantum field. I was like, well, cool. Well, I didn't have ancient artifacts. So I started collecting different crystals. And of course I went 
man with like the book of stones. And I was like, I need to get this. And I had all these like crystal alchemical arrays and I would, it took me like a half an hour to set them up. And then I would put somebody on the, you know, the Reiki table and I would, you know, you know, activate and boom. Yeah. They drop in. It was pretty cool. And then uh, a friend of mine who lives in Baltimore went to a matrix seminar and she was like, Oh, you gotta see this thing. So we got the book and we started, she came and saw us. We started playing with it. And then I, I we went a couple months later to one of their seminars and it was, it was a light bulb because it's sort of like, I, you know, theoretically knew this stuff was possible. And then I saw people do it. Mm-hmm. And because I saw other people do it, I gave myself permission to do it too. And so I think that that was really interesting. And I, I stayed with that. I did that um, through, they, they don't have the same like class descriptions now. So I don't even know what they're teaching right now. But, you know, I learned a lot there, but it was really interesting because a lot of the stuff that I was learning there was really paralleling quite closely with um, the Andean shamanism that I was learning at the same time. So it was just like a different, it was like modern terms for a lot of the same stuff we were doing in shamanic practice. And so my practice has kind of become a fusion between like modern quantum consciousness techniques and ancient consciousness techniques, which was shamanism. Now, if you ask me what I do, I'm like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's- some sort of weird melting pot. Even my two teachers here, the shamanic, like I'm different than both of them. Like I've learned their both ways that they do their work. And then I'm sort of like a fusion. The joke is, is like, I'm like their little shamanic baby. So it's really about accessing um, the quantum field and pulling out different possibilities. And then okay. that, that's it in a nutshell. But to do that, you have to drop out of your head and into your heart. The heart is the heart field, like the toroidal electromagnetic field of the heart is way more powerful than the one in the head. And it mirrors the Earth's magnetic field. And it's the place where it connects to the quantum field. Because what I'll do is like I'll journey and like I'll have like questions about parallel universes and stuff. I'll journey into the upper world and talk to like a master teacher. and like, so what's the deal with the soul and multiple universes? How many, you know, you know and stuff like that and you know i taught a workshop last summer in ontario about i called it the quantum self which was really all about working with time and how the soul figures into all of that um we recently did a soul retrieval meditation and um, i'm really interested in it so can you explain soul retrieval for our listeners sure as we go through life and we experience like different trauma or, you know, rejection of part of ourselves, which happens a lot in childhood, you know, where we're told, you know, a certain part of ourselves is not appropriate. And that's really hurtful. So that, that piece of the self will like splinter off and go off and be away someplace. And as you go through life, if you don't work to call those energies back, it's, it's like you get more frail. Your spirit gets just more frail. Um, and you just don't feel like yourself anymore. You're, you're, if you've ever had that feeling like where you've gone through like something that's very harrowing and you just takes you a while and you're like, I, I just don't feel like my old self. Well, yeah. Um, I had a friend who was going through at the time, he was going through cancer treatment and he had an interaction, uh, with his mother and he was going a non-traditional treatment route. They, she basically like lit into him, uh, as, as a concerned mother would, you know? After that, you know, I saw him the next time and I was like, what's this deal? He was like a shadow of himself. And, you know, they told me what happened. I was like, okay, well, 
we were working uh, at a festival that week. I was like, okay, after dinner, give me a half hour in my room and then, you know, come knock on the door and we'll do that. So they came in, had them lay down on the bed, you know, open sacred space and, you know, pulled out some of that traumatic energy. And then see, because what the thing about uh, soul retrieval is there's always an extraction to be done first because nature does not like a vacuum. So whenever you lose a piece of yourself, some other energy is going to move in. Oh, and it's usually not great. Or it's at least not you. Um, and not to scare you or anything. It's just like, yeah, just, we all pick up energy everywhere we go. So it's just like, if it's not yours, it's not doing you any favors. That's basically it. So, you know, you pull that out. And then I, you know, just started calling pieces back in. And it's funny, within five minutes, he like sits up and he, and he starts talking to me. He's just, he's his old self. And I'm like, cool. And, you know, goes back in and the next morning, his, his wife comes out and she's like, I don't know what you did. She's like, but he came in the room and he was chattering and everything and this and that. And just like his old self, I was like, well, yeah, because he is his old self because he's all there now. You know, right? So it's really calling back what we've lost. We're calling ourselves back home after any traumatic event. It is a good, good time to do it. So you've had a major life trauma or, you know, sometimes it's just being around, you know, caustic energy for a while can do it or drain you. And the thing is, is that when you've done one, you also, you have to become a good host uh, for the energy that comes back, particularly if it's been gone from you for a long time. If you've got like a soul piece that's been gone since childhood, you have to be willing to commit to protect that f fragment that's a child and stand up for it and say, hey, I'm going to make sure it's safe for you to be here. That is the big piece. So it, but it, it's one of the things I've, I've seen when it's, mm -hmm. when it's necessary. It's like, wow, those can be like one of the most profound differences, like right away. Um, the other thing that happens is, is like depossession work. Uh, a lot of times we'll accompany soul retrieval work. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, whenever we have gaps in our energy field, you know, there's going to be energy that comes in to fill that gap. And now usually it's just like stray energy. Sometimes it's non-sentient energy. It's just atmospheric. Sometimes it's semi-sentient. Sometimes it's a thought form that's taken on its life of its own. Sometimes it's dead mm -hmm. people um, that, yeah. that mistake your light and life force for the light. It's warm and comfy in there, right? So they go in and, then, you know, and they usually don't mean any harm. But again, they're not used. So they're not doing you any favors. So, and uh, once you do that, it's a lot. But I've seen some people say, oh, that must be really hard work. I'm like, sometimes, yeah, it is. But then I've also seen some of the most profound, beautiful healing ceremonies come out of dealing with that and huge transformations. So, um, like, my, one of my teacher's favorite things to do is a deep possession. I mean, that she loves doing oh it. Wow. Again, most mm. of the time, it's generally not that, not that, you know, it's not that scary. I mean, I've only seen one or two cases where it's kind of scary. I mean, and, you know, that's wow. when I call my teachers. I'm like, okay, so I have this thing going on over here with this person. What would you suggest? Or, mm. you know, when I had one one time and it really wanted me to engage it and do it right. It was trying to piss me off. I was like... I don't think I should be the one to do this work. I'm going to call my teachers. Do you have to do it in person session? Um, no, I've done it at a distance. Um, I, I've done most things. The only thing is I don't like doing I don't work on spaces at a distance. And I find because it's a lot, I can look at, I can, you know, 
key into somebody's energy field, but keying into like the energy of an apartment or a house. You know, I'm not an apartment or a house, so I'm not as familiar with, you know, the energetic, I guess, anatomy of that. So it's easier for me to go into a space than it is for me to do that remotely. I don't work on spaces remotely. Mm-hmm. So I, I will work on people. In fact, most of the people I work on are remotely uh, at this time. Anyway, uh, I'm comfortable with that. And that's okay. You know, there's certain things I'm like, yeah, this would probably be better in person. Sometimes people don't have anyone in their area that can do that. So, you know, I've also done like ancestral healing, which can encompass a lot of that. It can encompass deep session. It can um, encompass unraveling curses. Or just, it can be really simple or really not simple. It just depends on what comes up. But, um, oh, yeah. but I, you have to face yeah. those things eventually. Now, I'm also against throwing people in the very deepest end of the pool that don't know how to swim. You know, I, I tell people, if you're looking for the lightning mm-hmm. path, I am not the person that you want to talk to. Um, go take one of those trips down to wherever and take ayahuasca if that's what you're into. I, I am not for that. I'm for like slow and steady wins the race. So yeah. we deal with this. Okay, yeah. we build you up here. Okay, now what are you going to tackle? Okay. And then I also think, like, you should rest in between challenges. <laughs> so because there are people that are just like, I just want to conquer. I just, I actually wrote a blog about it just yet last night. I was like, this idea of mastery is complete bullshit. Um, I, that's one of the things that I nearly broke myself over. It's like this, and and usually what it is when people approach the idea of like being a spiritual master, mastering this, mastering that, is they want to sidestep the messy process of living and moving through trauma and shadow. And I'm as guilty of that as anybody. But I'm I'm finally I'm starting to you know handle certain things that I've been putting on you know a little bit at a time. But you have to be gentle with yourself. I like the slow. Yeah, I like that too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, jumping right in, you're not ready. Yeah, I mean, I when I say I broke myself, Mm -hmm. I mean I I literally did, but it's too much or it's too fast or you know, and and it was the idea of I was energetically magnifying the idea of, of mastering transformation at the time when when I broke myself, and you can be broken and still be of service. Because if you think, you know, I think this idea of like, oh, shining, which is part of the reason why I blog, it's healing for me. And, you know, getting to that point where it's like, I don't need to fix myself. I just need to grow. And and you learn this in different, you know, relationships, both the troubling ones. And as equally, I would say people think, oh, you learn from bad relationships. Yeah, you do. But you also learn from really good relationships. And so... What was really interesting is coming out of that period of my life where I had, you know, bad group experiences after bad group experiences after bad group experiences and coming into a, you know, a deep friendship with somebody who was very accepting. It allowed me breathing space to start to grow and flourish in a way that I had never done before. And I think you grow just as much Mm -hmm. in a loving, supportive environment. Actually, you grow more than you do um, from the challenges. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's important, you know, it's hard for us to see ourselves accurately. And that's in part because, you know, during socialization training, when we're children and obedience training is also the other half of that in schools, Mm -hmm. um, we are constantly critiqued about what not to be. Now, Mm -hmm. 
that has to happen. We have to be socialized. We have to learn how to, you know, interact with other people in a way that's not like just, you know, me, 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 me. Um, but what happens is oftentimes we're only enforced, reinforced on the negative and not on the positive. So it becomes hard for us to see anything but our flaws. So, you know, when you talk about curses, my, my definition of curse is a lie that we believe about ourselves. And so when people's like, well, what do you mean by that? I'm like, okay, let me give you an example. Say you're really into like art or painting or acting when you're a child and you're really into it. And then somebody you really respect says, oh, you'll never make it as an actor. You'll starve. And then you can insert whatever you want into that. Or you like, you really like a particular sport. Oh, you'll never do that because you're too mm-hmm. short. But when we're speaking particularly to someone we know is impressionable, like a child, who does not have discernment, so they just believe what they're told, um, that's where we have to really change, you know, how we're speaking to each other. Ooh. I never thought about that. Never thought about that. Yes. Yeah. But thank you so much, Thomas, for being on here. We have to have you back on to we talk about to. more. Yeah, because we just scratched the surface, I feel. Yeah, I feel like this was just like a... Um... Introductory to <laughs> Thomas. Introductory <laughs> to Thomas. <laughs> You're very interesting. Thomas Mooneagle is an artist, writer, spiritual teacher, and healer. You can find his book, learn about his classes, book a healing session, discover his YouTube channel, or read his amazing blog on his website, thomasmooneagle.com. In addition, you can support him on Patreon, which will all be linked down below. As usual, we like to send our listeners distant Reiki at the end of every episode. To receive this energy, all you have to do is be open to it. We recommend that you do not drive a car or operate any machinery because Reiki can make you sleepy. We like our clients to sit back and relax, meditate if you'd like, and allow the energy to flow to you. At the end of the music, the Reiki session has ended. If you would like to learn more about Reiki, go to edarlene.com Reiki. Thanks for listening. Bye.